Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey that the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Good morning and, and welcome. It's good to have you all here to help celebrate the launching of a program with a vision and a, and a noble purpose. The National Endowment for Democracy is, just as we've been told, more than bipartisan. It's a genuine partnership of Republicans and Democrats, of labor and business, conservatives and liberals, and of the executive and legislative branches of government. It's such a worthwhile, important initiative that I'm tempted to ask, why hasn't it been done before? Well, we're doing it now, and it's largely because of the hard work of good people. Chuck Manat, Frank Ferenkopf, Danny Fassell, Bill Brock, Lane Kirkland, Mike Samuels, you have my heartfelt thanks and warmest congratulations. And a special thank you to our Vice President who has been carrying this message for quite some time now on missions here and there throughout the world. The establishment of the National Endowment goes right to the heart of America's faith in democratic ideals and institutions. We must work hard for democracy and freedom, and that means putting our resources, organizations, sweat, and dollars behind a long-term program. Well, the hope is now a reality. The National Endowment for Democracy, a private, nonprofit corporation funded by the Congress, will be the centerpiece of this effort. All Americans can be proud of this initiative and the congressional action which made it possible. By engaging the energies of our major political parties, of labor, business, and other groups, such as the academic community, the forces of democracy will be strengthened wherever they may be. This program will not be hidden in shadows. It'll stand proudly in the spotlight, and that's where it belongs. We can and should be proud of our message of democracy. Democracies respect individual liberties and human rights. They respect freedom of expression, 
political participation, and peaceful cooperation. Governments which serve their citizens encourage spiritual and economic vitality. And we will not be shy in offering this message of hope. Through the, through the National Endowment, the private sector will promote exchanges between the American people and democratic groups abroad. It'll stimulate participation in democratic training programs and institution building overseas. The endowment will work closely with those abroad who seek to chart a democratic course. And of course, it will be consistent with our own national interests. The National Endowment will let the people at the grassroots who make our democracy work help build it elsewhere. And the organizations that are now being formed by the Republican and Democratic parties and by labor and business will be the key to success. Hello, welcome everyone to the Oddcast featuring me, your odd man out. Thank you once again for hanging out with me. I think I have a great show in store for you, something I've been working on for a few months actually for quite a while, ever since I started doing the shows on Ukraine, those we don't speak of, the whole Ukraine-Russia situation, I continued, when I was researching that, to run into a group called NED, or the National Endowment for Democracy. And I realized that whenever you would see a government overthrown, when you would see a color revolution, there would be this group. I thought, well, who controls this group? Why are they in these places and what are they doing there? So I started looking into them and I found out there's been some great research done on these guys. You heard President Reagan at the opening of the National Endowment for Democracy there. And that was the beginning of spreading democracy around the world. It was a campaign. And where do we hear the term democracy constantly? It's not from the right. It's from the left, frequently talking about Democracy, democracy, saving democracy. We're going to lose democracy. You know, democracy is mob rule, and we can talk about the different forms of government and elections and all that. But it's just kind of funny that Reagan started this campaign. Now, was he the brains behind it? I seriously doubt it. As we look deeper into things, I think the president is mostly a character put out to keep the people divided and distracted, and Reagan was no different. So, Let's look a little bit deeper at this organization, and a little bit later we're going to hear from former CIA member Philip Aggie, who explains exactly what the National Endowment for Democracy does, and we'll also be looking from various sources, just kind of trying to see what we can find out. So thank you once again, guys. Let's get this thing going. So I look up National Endowment for Democracy on start page here, and the first thing that pulls up, is, of course, Wikipedia. And I just thought it was kind of funny. You see an Orthodox priest here. You see several people, four other guys that I'm not familiar with, except one of them, and that's Chris Matthews, the former anchor. I guess he was MSNBC. I think maybe he's retired. I'm not sure. But let's see what it says here. The National Endowment for Democracy, NED, is an organization in the United States that was founded in 1983 for promoting democracy in other countries by promoting political and economic institutions such as political groups, trade unions, free markets, and business groups. NED is funded primarily by an annual allocation from the U.S. Congress. The NED was created by the Democracy Program as a bipartisan 
private, nonprofit corporation and in turn acts as a grant-making foundation. In addition to its grant program, the NED also supports and houses the Journal of Democracy, the World Movement for Democracy, the International Forum for Democratic Studies, the Reagan Fashel Fellowship Program, the Network of Democracy Research Institutes, and the Center for International Media Assistance. Well, it's good to know that there are several other groups we can look into that are connected. We also know that there is the International Republican Institute, which was founded at the exact same time as NED, and the National Democratic Institute. So those are the Republican and Democrat institutes working hand-in-hand with NED. It's to give it a bipartisan look. And later on, we'll kind of dive into who is in those groups right now, who leads those groups, because there's some interesting characters in there that you'll be familiar with. Now, I pulled this up. I can't help it. Look at it. Think whatever you want. Call me a call me. I don't care. But this came up. It was fmprc.gov.cn. Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the People's Republic of China. Now, I just thought this was interesting. The United States has long used democracy as a tool and a weapon to undermine democracy in the name of democracy, to incite division and confrontation, and to meddle in other countries' internal affairs, causing catastrophic consequences. The National Endowment for Democracy, NED, as one of the U.S. government's main foot soldiers, White Gloves and Democracy Crusaders has subverted lawful governments and cultivated pro-U.S. puppet forces around the world under the pretext of promoting democracy. Its disgraceful record has aroused strong discontent in the international community. In today's world, peace and development is the theme of the times, and the trend towards greater democracy in international relations is unstoppable. Any attempt to interfere in other countries' internal affairs in the name of democracy is unpopular and is doomed to failure. It actually has quite a bit of information on there that's actually pretty factual if you look into it, but we'll get out of that site and check out some other sources here. We see here on a website, ecfr.gov, this is a United States website, of course. We go down to NED. NED is governed by a bipartisan board of directors of not fewer than 13 and not more than 25 members, reflecting the diversity of American society. The officers of the corporation are chairman and vice chairman of the board, who shall be members of the board, a president, secretary, and treasurer. And such other officers as the board of directors may from time to time appoint. Meeting of the board of directors are held at times determined by the board, but in no event fewer than four times each year. A current list of members of the board of directors and a schedule of upcoming meetings is available from Ned's office. And then it's got the address, which is in Washington, of course. From a website called interaction.org, it says choose to invest. At the top, National Endowment for Democracy. And underneath it says minimum requirement, $320 million. Since 1983, the National Endowment for Democracy has advanced democracy worldwide by supporting people in their pursuit of good governance, economic freedom, independent media, 
and the dignity afforded by human rights. The NED is dedicated to fostering a wide range of democratic institutions abroad, including political parties, trade unions, free markets, and business organizations. Okay, so we've read that before. It says the endowment's non-governmental character provides flexibility, allowing it to work under the most difficult circumstances and respond quickly. In other words, they do not have to follow the same laws and regulations as an official government agency would. Let's look here. Now, down at the bottom, it's got a funding chart from 2019 through 2021. So we're looking at about 150, uh, about $165 million from the House and the same from the Senate. 2020, just a little bit above that, about $175 million from the House, and then over $350 million, in fact, $360 million from the Senate, down a little bit in 2021 to about $300 million from the House, and the same from the Senate. That's a lot of cheddar. Here on devix.com, it says the National Endowment for Democracy is a private, nonprofit foundation dedicated to the growth and strengthening of democratic institutions around the world, yada, yada, yada. Each year, NED makes more than 1,000 grants to support projects of non governmental groups abroad who are working for democratic goals in more than 90 countries. So, this is the way they fund the NGOs, the tax exempt groups, which I talk about all the time, which are quasi-government, quasi-corporate groups, and it's where you see really these public-private partnerships coming together, or fascism or corporatism, kind of a mix of those. And this is one of the main conduits by which GovCorp, as I call it, works together and are leading us closer and closer to a more global economy, a more global government. It's happening little by little, and obviously average people have never even heard of the National Endowment for Democracy, even though it's been out since 1983. Okay, we've read enough of the official information about NED, I think. Let's check out some of the dirty laundry here. We've been describing the threats to power and freedom that are driving the current crisis in Ukraine, specifically threats of foreign political interference. In discussing the external conflict between U.S. and Russia, the earlier essay, Part 3a, focused on the political interference performed by the CIA, but it's also critical to discuss the behavior of the National Endowment for Democracy, NED, and the types of foreign political interference in which it is reportedly routinely engaged. Writer William Blum, a former Foreign Service officer who left his post in opposition to the U.S. war in Vietnam, spent a few decades researching U.S. foreign intervention abroad. His intent was to write a magazine article, but the more he uncovered, the more he realized the material was book length. He wrote, My government, I had discovered, had easily been the intervention king of all history, a serial intervener. There was scarcely any place in the known world where the CIA, the State Department, and or the U.S. military had not been doing their dirty work. And I just want to say that if you'll notice, so many times it's actually the left who are pushing these wars behind the scenes. It's all about trying to kind of throw the blame on the other side. Now, both sides are to blame for different things, for sure. 
But a lot of times, if you look back through history and do the real digging, you see that a lot of these more progressive types were pushing interventions and wars. And you'll notice that oftentimes when the progressive elites and the intellectuals are for a war or intervention, they will name call those who are apprehensive about getting involved in foreign engagements, as our founders told us to be, they'll call us isolationists, isolationists, like it's a bad thing, but it's actually just non-interventionism. As I said, the way the country was founded, and the more we get involved in these foreign countries, the closer we get to globalism, and that's what I keep trying to tell people, that NATO is one of your strongest proponents of globalism. We were told it was going to be straight-up communism, worldwide communism, creating this world government. Well, no, it's coming by way mostly of foreign intervention and bailing out foreign governments and doing all these other things. So, But let's go back to this article here. NED was formed in 1983, one year after a proposal by President Reagan for the U.S. to foster the infrastructure of democracy abroad. In 1991, one of the founders of NED, Alan Weinstein, surprised there, stated that much of NED's work involves doing what the CIA used to do. Some, in fact, refer to NED as the second CIA, with second CIA in quotes there. NED has four core institutes, as we heard before, but we'll go over them again. The National Democratic Institute, which is NDI for short, and the International Republican Institute, IRI the American Center for International Labor Solidarity, and the Center for International Private Enterprise, which is used to infiltrate foreign political, labor, and business organizations to mastermind separatist riots, color revolutions, political crises, lies and rumors, and infiltration around the world with an ever-growing list of evils. And so nowadays, instead of having just the CIA going around behind the scenes and trying to manipulate the process secretly by inserting money here and instructions there and so forth, they have now a psychic, which is this National Endowment for Democracy, oh, yeah. NED. Yeah. And uh, this organization dates from 1967. A lot of people don't realize because it was just established in, the, I think, 83. But the idea emerged from a series of scandalous revelations in 1967, the worst ones to that point, to hit the CIA. And I was um, in headquarters at the time that these uh, scandals broke, and the gloom there was something you could, you could touch almost. Because what happened was the long-running CIA's control and manipulation of the international program of the National Students Association, in this country, which was the National Organization of University Students, uh, came out. It was revealed. And that led to revelations of a lot of other CIA operations because they were using the same bogus and real foundations to channel money into all these different org overseas organizations. And I remember very well that Time Magazine at the time, or Newsweek, I think it was Time, uh, they published a wheel uh, oh, yeah. with all these spokes going out and the CIA was at the center and then halfway out were all these these corporate uh, these um, foundations and uh, American organizations and then out at the end were the uh, foreign groups that got the money and the instructions naturally they don't give, give away money without being sure that it's spent the way they want it spent and so um, uh, this was a catastrophe for the CIA and the next month or the month after that this started in February of 67 and then by April I think it was Dante Fashel the congressman from Florida was proposing the establishment of a 
an open system to finance these overseas organizations. And we're talking about uh, some government organizations abroad, some political parties, some media organizations, uh, youth organizations and student organizations, all these kinds of, of so-called pluralist organizations, when in fact they weren't really free organizations for, because to the degree that they take money and instructions from the CIA, to that degree they're not free at all, right? But anyway, Fachel came up with this idea, but nothing, it didn't go anywhere because the so-called consensus between the two parties had broken down over Vietnam. And so it wasn't until the early 80s when Reagan made his speech in the House of Commons about the democracy project worldwide that this began to take on steam again. And uh, finally, they decided to copy the German example. Each of the major German political parties has a foundation which is financed by the German government. Uh, before it was West Germany, now the whole country. And, um, uh, for example, the uh, Friedrich Ebert Stiftung is the... Um, SPD or the Social Democratic Party's foundation and they finance projects all over the place and for years in the 50s and 60s and I would guess even into the 70s in fact I know into the 70s even to the uh, early 80s the CIA was channeling money through these German foundations abroad for example some money uh, a lot of money I think it was a million dollars or more uh, but I'm, I'm a little hazy on the amount. But anyway, it went through the, it was CIA money who, which went through the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. That's the Christian Democratic Union. It went from there to Ivepo, which is um, a foundation of the um, COPE, the Christian Democrats in Venezuela. Oh. And from there, it went to the Christian Democrats in El Salvador, to Duarte, for use in the elections, I've forgotten which year, maybe 84 or something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, it was traced. Some journalists did this. And um, so that is the way they would use these German foundations in the past. So now we've got our own. We don't have to use the Germans unless we really want to anymore. Because in 1984, uh, we established this National Endowment for Democracy, which is nothing but a mega conduit. And the millions or the tens of millions that uh, are set aside for the meddling in the internal affairs of other countries goes to this conduit like a bank account or something, but they have a board of directors and they uh, do reports and stuff like that. But then it goes from there to one of four private foundations, uh, one of the Democratic Party, one the Republican Party, or two, three the AFL-CIO, and four the U.S. Uh, Chamber of Commerce. These groups then uh, pass it out to recipients uh, in foreign countries. And in the Nicaraguan elections of 1990, I believe the figure was something like 12.5 million that went from the National Endowment for Democracy through these conduits to the UNO political movement there. Uh, it was the party, the coalition, you know, of UNO, which is the most ungodly coalition uh, <laughs> yeah. you can ever imagine. Everything from communists all the way That's to right. Samosistas. That's right. And uh, then they had a trade front, trade union front, mm -hmm. uh, which also received money. And then they had the civic association. Civic association, I think they call it Via Civica there. Um, that's, a, that's an old, old uh, technique of the CIA is to establish a, a, a type of civic organization which will be involved in monitoring elections and things like that. And the first one that I know of was NAMFREL in um, the Philippines. They established that one around 1950-51 as part of the counterinsurgency against the Hux, uh, the, um, the uh, guerrilla movement of the time, because we wanted to have a vehicle for electing our man president of the Philippines. And we did it through this organization, NANFRO. NANFRO stands for National Association for Free Elections, I think. <laughs> free. And, uh, yeah, free elections. 
when we were financing it. <laughs> At the time of Ned's creation, the CIA, as we heard from Philip Aggie, was in hot political water and under heavy scrutiny, presumably over its violations of congressional law with regard to funding the Contras, who were trying to overthrow Nicaragua's left-wing, reform-minded Sandinista government. Officially a nonpartisan, not-for-profit group, NED receives most of its funding from U.S. taxpayers through legislation of the U.S. Congress, which has it budgeted for within the U.S. Agency for International Development within the Department of State, and it's ostensibly subject to congressional overview. NED almost lost its funding in 1993 and in 2018. It was President Trump who unsuccessfully proposed slashing its funding. Oh, good for him. Those engaged in the anti-Trump groupthink, which criticized every single thing Trump did, especially bizarre and disproportionate, given the enormous weakness of his predecessors, condemned him once more and his authoritarian personality for the reason he opposed such a good thing as promoting democracy abroad. Writing in the New Republic, Jeet here states, Unlike every U.S. president since Jimmy Carter, Trump doesn't believe that it's in American foreign policy's interest to promote democracy and human rights abroad. Instead, his administration is working to undermine the agency tasked with doing so. It's unbelievable that past U.S. presidents are so revered and trusted as to assume that they, in their massively deadly actions in Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, Panama, Haiti, Venezuela, Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Somalia, Yemen, and beyond, and in their promotion of violence-inducing CIA and NED activities abroad, were actually engaged in promoting democracy and human rights abroad. Apparently, in American Orwellian doublespeak, killing more than 800,000 in the Middle East in the U.S. War on Terror was all a part of promoting human rights. It's certainly possible Trump's motives were about personal profit, but whether his motives were personal profit or were about saving national money from endless altercations abroad, the argument against his proposals to slash Ned's funding is shallow and false. Here states, Ned is hated by the very authoritarian regimes with whom Trump is currying favor. For instance, Russia has banned the Ned because the Kremlin has deemed it an undesirable NGO. That first line is false. As we shall see, Ned is hated by people who are very democratic-minded, and Ned's actions have helped place into power authoritarian leaders, just as the CIA did. In response to U.S. condemnation of Russia's alleged interference in the 2016 elections, some have pointed out that the U.S. has interfered in foreign nations to extraordinary degrees. Yet here... The writer insists that such moral equivalency is a bit glib, since there's a big difference between interfering in order to promote democracy and interfering in order to destabilize democracy, which he claims is what Russia is doing in the U.S. In other words, U.S. political interference is considered moral and good because it's promoting democracy, but Russian political interference is bad and criminal because it's thwarting democracy. Well, the guy was writing in the New Republic, and the New Republic was basically created by Fabian Socialists, and it's a socialist rag, just like the Atlantic. But that's a whole other story. So we'll continue a little bit more with this article here. 
It's already a controversial idea to suggest that the morality and legality of violating another nation's sovereignty varies and depends upon the violator's purpose. After all, most violators of others' sovereignty probably presume that their purpose is good. The Allies thought that they were great when they violated Iran's sovereignty and declaration of neutrality during the World Wars to use its railroads. That supposedly was somehow also about promoting democracy and freedom. However, in those rare instances where it's deemed good to violate another nation's sovereignty under international law, it is only the UN who makes this decision, not simply the U.S. This helps ensure a more comprehensive, less selfish perspective. Well, you know me, I am not a fan of the UN, but this push to interfere in other nations' elections I don't know. It's, it's always going to come back on you. I mean, it's just ridiculous to believe it's not. And whether you like Ron Paul or not, he was adamant about that in the war on terror. And, of course, blowback happened big time and continues to happen, but it doesn't matter because we're going to continue to do this because this is about, I don't know what else to call it, but imperialism. And we've talked about it in the past. When these smaller governments get their countries overthrown, what happens is when you said, and Ned, and Freedom House, and Open Society, when they get involved in these governments, what they do is they open up the country and they bring in the Western businesses. In order to get bailed out by the IMF or the World Bank, these countries have to give up many, many regulations, and they have to open up their countries to these monopoly corporations and loan institutions, and that's what this is about And we see, as we've read time and time again about NED, that they have one organization that covers the unions and one organization that covers the private businesses. So they're working together, basically, and then they work inside these foreign governments. NED supposedly promotes democracy, but according to William Blum in his book Rogue State, it actually promotes free market economies and U.S. investment abroad ironically at the expense of both U.S. and foreign democracy by using U.S. tax dollars to support right-wing groups against left-wing groups and supplying funds, technical expertise, training, educational material, computers, copiers, cars, etc. to right-wing political groups, civic organizations, labor unions, student groups, book publishers, and foreign media. The results of NED's activities have been destabilization of nations that in many cases already had free and fair elections. And so when people hear this and they see the right wing versus the left wing, the more conservative people are obviously going to be like, well, what's the matter with it if they're promoting what I believe in? But it's not the right wing in as what you think the right wing should be as in good old-fashioned conservatism and good old-fashioned patriotism. This is a different type of thing. This is, when they see free markets, it's not free markets. It's actually almost the opposite. When they go in there, you have this unique group of elite businesses and loaning institutions that get into these countries, and they're not going to allow any competition to rise up. So it's, it's protectionism. You have to understand what this actually is. So when you get all triggered by right wing or left wing, you have to understand that it's not exactly what you think it is here in the United States. And even if it was, this is a foreign government. It's none of our business. And as I said before, the more we get involved in these foreign 
governments and foreign nations, the more we become globalist. And I think the progressives understood that after World War I. They realized that we're not going to get the League of Nations, so the only way that we can create this world government is through war. And we'll talk about that maybe at another time, but certainly it's bringing us closer and closer to global governance. And a little bit more from the article once again, we'll finish up here. In his work, America's Other War, Doug Stokes describes how Venezuela was a victim of a U.S.-supported coup in 2002 when the late President Hugo Chavez was forced from power for 48 hours. And keep in mind that the support of a U.S.-supported coup usually means much more than a phone call or a handshake. It means money, arms, propaganda, bribes, scheming, payrolls, destabilization operations, economic sabotage, mob instigators, and military backup. Stokes explains that Ned has funneled hundreds of thousands of dollars in grants to U.S. and Venezuelan opposition groups, including the labor group, whose protests ignited the coup. Now, there we see that we were talking about right-wing groups. I don't think in the U.S. you would equate a labor group with a right-wing group. So take that into consideration. Yet Chavez, who had won the elections of 1998 and 2000 by the largest majority in 40 years, was vigorously defended. Millions of Venezuelans protested and defeated the U.S.-backed coup leaders. If you'll remember, they wanted to stage a coup in Venezuela under Trump. They wanted to place in that one guy, I forget his name off the bat here, but he was not the real president. And the funny thing was that they appointed one of the NED, National Endowment for Democracy, board directors, Elliot Abrams, who we've talked about on this show before, who is also a board of directors of the Council on Foreign Relations and was a main member of Project for a New American Century. They appointed him in charge to try and get that coup done, but it didn't happen. But to continue, to get a glimpse into the disdain some of U.S. policymakers actually hold for democracy, note that a Bush Jr. administration spokesman explained that while Chavez had been democratically elected, Legitimacy is something that is conferred not just by a majority of the votes. Of course, Bush Jr. should know, since he didn't win the popular vote against Al Gore, but nonetheless was granted legitimacy as the U.S. president. Ava Golinger, a Venezuelan-American attorney and journalist who strongly supported Chavez, writes that the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID, you said, and Ned funneled millions annually in political groups who opposed and led to the political downfall of Ecuador's President Rafael Correa, a highly popular leader who worked hard to reduce poverty and who also refused to renew the lease to allow the U.S. to maintain a military base in Ecuador, thus earning U.S. policymakers enmity by breaking the second and fourth of the Four Commandments described in the earlier essay, which we did not read. Golinger also states that Honduras was the victim of a coup backed by the Obama administration that forced President Manuel Zelaya from power in 2009. Honduras has suffered ever since from the loss of its democracy and the presence of enormous human rights violations. As Al Jazeera reports, Ned also helped anti-Morsi supporters get rid of Mohamed Morsi, 
Egypt's first ever democratically elected president by paying huge amounts of U.S. tax dollars to opposition parties and wealthy opponents and by encouraging protests. Now, U.S. policymakers support al-Sisi, who led the 2013 anti-Morsi coup, and who's said to be even worse with regards to human rights than Egypt's brutal Hosni Mubarak, like Mubarak on steroids. Al-Sisi has had hundreds of Egyptians killed and imprisoned tens of thousands of political prisoners, but you don't see U.S. headlines hateful towards al-Sisi and calling him a murderer. That's because these left-wing news agencies are really warmongers. They support this kind of stuff because they're part of the deep state. Of course, such interference in foreign nations' internal politics is illegal and violates international law and foreign nations' laws, if not U.S. law itself. How is it possible that our tax dollars are allowed to fund this? If Ned is under congressional oversight... Why isn't Congress acting to enforce law and dismantle Ned from criminal behavior? Blum's Freeing the World to Death, William Blum, describes Ned's activities in Eastern Europe. The standard operating procedure in a particular country has been to send in teams of specialists from U.S. government agencies, non-governmental organizations, American labor unions, or private organizations funded by American corporations and foundations, and he says the leading examples are the National Endowment for Democracy, Agency for International Development, AID, and the Open Society Organizations of George Soros. And there you see, again, I've talked about this in the past, you see that these NED organizations and these Intel-led organizations are working hand-in-hand with Open Societies Foundation or its offshoot foundations. And so why would these Intel organizations work with Soros organizations? Ask yourself that. That's not exactly conservative or right-wing, is it? So we need to think about this critically and forget about our ties to either the left or the right wing and realize this is bigger than liberalism or conservatism. He goes on to say that these teams go in with as much financial resources as needed and numerous carrots and sticks to wield. They hold conferences and seminars, hand out tons of papers, manuals and CDs, and fund the new NGOs, newspapers, and other media, all to educate government employees and other selected portions of the population on the advantages and joys of privatizing and deregulating the economy, teaching them how to run a capitalist society and how to remake the country so it's appealing to foreign investors. And again, notice that these pro-democracy institutions aren't pro-democracy at all. They're pro-capitalism and specifically pro-privatization and pro-U.S. investment abroad. Well, like I said, they're not about free market capitalism. They are about having this elite cadre of organizations, corporations, and these NGOs working together to take over the businesses there, take over the lands there, take over the minerals there on these lands. That's what they do, man. It's, it's globalization. It's, it's imperialism and globalization. That's what it is, like it or not. They're confusing an economic system with a political system. Privatization has also been pushed by the World Bank, which grants loans typically on conditions of privatizing. And we talked about the World Bank and the IMF and how they grant these loans that can never be paid back most times. So they own these countries... And it opens up these countries again to all these 
cronies. It's cronyism. 101. This entire issue led to the water wars in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Maybe that's Cochabamba. When a corporation owned in large part by Betchel was trying to take over Cochabamba's public water supply. This was during the brutal dictatorship of U.S.-supported Hugo Bonzer prior to the leadership of Morales. When the civilians resisted the contract, Bonzer cut off power to the city, banning meetings of more than two people and instituting martial law. But this forced privatization is what U.S. policymakers call freedom. Once you read about the coups funded and instigated by the CIA and Ned in articles and books such as Bloom's Killing Hope and James Cockroft's Latin America, you start to see the pattern. In fact, the current crisis has many parallels with the pre-coup stages of CIA and Ned operations, particularly the propaganda, the lies, the economic and financial sabotage of Russia, and U.S. businessmen's acquisitive interest in Russia and Europe. This entire crisis is more than likely another case of U.S. government fighting to secure control, not only over Ukraine, but over Russia, in order to force them to conform to the Four Commandments. And then it reads the commandments, and we'll look at them. First commandment, thou shall not obstruct U.S. businesses' profit-making abroad. Second, thou shalt not significantly help the poor or give decent amounts of fertile land to the landless. Third, Thou shalt not be enemies with our friends or friends with our enemies. And the fourth, thou shalt not reject U.S. military bases and weapons. Within Russia, the NDI and the IRI, two of Ned's core institutes, and George Soros's International Renaissance Foundation contributed to millions to Yeltsin's presidential campaign and helped create a certain public image that would be as likable as possible while ignoring less savory aspects of his personality and plans. Most of all, these U.S. campaign contributors wanted Yeltsin in power because he would play the privatization game, thus opening Russia to the grubby, grasping hands of U.S. investors and businessmen. Trust me, it's not just the U.S., though. It's cronies of the U.S. businessmen as well. Harvard's University Institute for International Development sent over its shock therapist, Jeffrey Sachs, to put Russia through a crash immersion into capitalism, a course that resulted in catastrophe for most Russians, but fortunes for foreign investors and Russian oligarchs. While Sachs seems genuinely committed to eradicating poverty, others accused him of being tied to a narrow way of thinking that caused the crash into poverty of Russia. So this is a long article. There's, of course, more things, but we've learned a lot in this one, and I think we've been able to understand a lot of what's going on with Ned. And again, I think we need to think outside of the political parties, the left-right paradigm. It says, in 2017, Ned apparently in denial of the CIA's and its own highly manipulative, intrusive, and violent-inducing activities abroad, issued a report called Sharp Power, Rising Authoritarian Influence in which it demonized China and Russia by alleging that for more than a decade, they've spent enormous funds on influencing and manipulating target countries and purchasing loyalty. The hypocrisy is unreal. I wonder if Ned ever does a self-report on the spending of enormous funds from U.S. taxpayer dollars to manipulate target countries and purchase loyalty. I wonder if Ned has ever read Don Levin's book, which states that in the years of 1946 to 2000, The U.S. has interfered in foreign political elections 81 times, 
while Russia has interfered 36 times. So I'll be honest, I don't trust Russia either. You know, they've been a part of the UN's global warming, UN Agenda 21, UN Agenda 30, sustainable development. They're all on board with that. They're all on board with the World Economic Forum. So I don't trust them either. But I think we need to understand how Ned works. It is not our friend. It is overthrowing these countries left and right every couple of years. And this is making us less free. And how can we justify interfering in foreign governments and foreign nations at the same time as criticizing China and Russia for doing the same to us? It just doesn't work that way. So I think the people need to be aware of this information. They need to be aware of how these organizations work behind the scenes. You're not going to hear this from mainstream media. They're gatekeepers for it. It's people like me that's got to bring this stuff to you, unfortunately. Now that we know what NED does, let's look at a few of the members of NED, some of the top members. As I mentioned, Elliot Abrams, who goes back to the Bush W. administration, and we've talked about it many times. He was one of the main PNAC members, along with Victoria Newland and her husband, Robert Kagan. Kagan meaning priest or king, by the way. And so he is a senior fellow for Middle Eastern Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. He was educated at Harvard College and the Fabian Socialist-created London School of Economics, where George Soros was educated, as well as David Rockefeller, and, of course, Harvard Law School as well. Stuart Applebaum, president of the Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union, is on the board as well, probably related to author Ann Applebaum, a darling of the left, which is also on the board. Senator Tim Kaine, who ran for VP with Hillary Clinton. Senator Ben Sass, who I believe is a Republican. Now check this one out. Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, supposedly one of these new younger Republicans that's really going to bring conservatism back. But we found out that she was a World Economic Forum member. And now we find out that what? She's on the board of directors of the National Endowment for Democracy? And the aforementioned Victoria Newland, who has been all over the Ukraine coups going back to 2014. Yep, she is on board as well. Ambassador Stephen Sistanovich, also a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. He is the George F. Kennan Senior Fellow for Russian and Eurasian Studies at the CFR. Then we have the president of the AFL-CIO, Liz Schuler. Somebody needs to check these last names out. I'm starting to suspect there is a connection to most of these. Elizabeth Schuler is the president of 56 unions and 12.5 million members of the AFL-CIO. With unfailing consistency... U.S. intervention has been on the side of the rich and powerful of various nations at the expense of the poor and the needy. Rather than strengthening democracies, U.S. leaders have overthrown numerous democratically elected governments or other populist regimes in dozens of countries. Whenever these nations give evidence of putting the interests of their people ahead of the interests of their multinational corporate interests, that's when they get the big old coup. That was Michael Parenti. William Blum, who we mentioned a couple of times before, 
says the National Endowment for Democracy is an agency created by the Reagan administration in 1983 to promote political action and psychological warfare against states not in love with the U.S. foreign policy. It's Washington's foremost non-military tool for effecting regime change. That was from William Blum's America's Deadliest Export. He says the de facto censorship, which leaves so many Americans functionally illiterate about the history of U.S. foreign affairs, may be all the more effective because it is not so much official, heavy-handed, or conspiratorial as it is woven artlessly into the fabric of education and media. No conspiracy is needed. And lastly, he says in the Second World War, democratizations courses were held in U.S. and British POW camps for Germans, and Reformed Germans were granted privileges. Moreover, the U.S. Army was proud to state that the communist prisoners in American camps during the Korean War were taught what democracy stands for. And what does it stand for? It's not what we are told it stands for. He goes on to say that in 1983, the strategy of overthrowing inconvenient governments and calling it democracy promotion was born. There's another organization that seems to work closely with NED as well, and I don't know much about them, but I'm going to try and look a little bit deeper. And that is the Albert Einstein Institute. I got a quote here from Terry Mason, actually a couple of quotes. An academic by training, Constantine C. Menges, was created by the new CIA director, William Casey, in 81, to be National Intelligence Officer for Latin America. Also a member of the super-secret group, Le Cercal, he was known as the mind who officially came up with the Reagan Doctrine. Taught at Columbia by Zbigniew Brzezinski, and we'll uh, look to Poland right now, Mark Brzezinski, Zbigniew's son, is the ambassador there. It was Constantine who, in 1968, wrote the original RAND paper that became Reagan's Doctrine, Democratic Revolutionary Insurgency as an Alternative Strategy, arguing that communist regimes are very vulnerable to a democratic national revolution that is conducted with skill and the determination to succeed. Just before joining the CIA, Minges proposes the U.S.'s government establish a national foundation for democracy to promote nascent democratic movements in countries under communism and other forms of tyranny. President Reagan embraced the idea and two years later convinces Congress to fund the National Endowment for Democracy. When he moved to the White House in 1983 to become a special assistant to the president for national security affairs until 86, his first assignment, Minges, was to draw up plans to restore democracy in Grenada after a communist coup. And unfortunately, when they set up these democracies, quote-unquote, they're not trying to set up a good old-fashioned early American patriotic free market system. Again, it is a cronious system. They're trying to set up a situation where a small group of already very, very rich organizations and individuals can make even more money and be the only ones allowed to work in that area without permission. Robert Perry explained in a 2015 article republished on Consortium News, the CIA had a direct hand in the establishment of the NED, even in the writing of the congressional legislation 
that authorized the U.S. Agency for International Development to fund it with U.S. government money. The continued hand of the CIA was to be hidden in the age of overt action. The U.S., NED, NDI, Open Society, and the International Republican Institute are engaged in funding and supporting opposition groups, including the so-called Umbrella Revolution in Hong Kong, the Burish Street Movement in Malaysia, headed by now-jailed opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim, and deceptive media fronts like Prachati in Thailand, who openly and repeatedly attack Thailand's indigenous institutions while providing cover for U.S.-backed opposition groups, including Thakshin Sinawatra's Pua Thai Party, PTP, and his ultra-violent street front, the so-called Red Shirts. Noam Chomsky wrote that the true legend of the NED was to impose what is called democracy, meaning rule by the rich and powerful, without interference by the mob, but within the framework of formal electoral procedure. Jonah Jindin and Kirsten Weld explain in the NACLA, N-A-C-L-A, may at times ally with the movements and individuals genuinely dedicated to democratizing their countries. However, it sets the perimeters of debate by positioning a particular definition of pro-market, representative democracy as the only authoritarian option, isolating those with a more radical vision. It says here also, in the omnibus appropriations bill that the president signed on December 2009, President Obama, lawmakers set the NED's amount at $118 million, more than restoring the proposed cut. The bill went on to specify that the $18 million above the administration's request had to go for democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. Lawrence Shoup, who wrote the book about the Council on Foreign Relations, he actually wrote two great books about that, and we've talked about them a little bit here. He said, The National Endowment for Democracy is funded by the U.S. Congress, founded in 83, as we know before, and in recent years, NED has spent about $100 million annually on over 1,000 projects of non-governmental organizations in over 90 nations. A large percentage of these projects are to foster the neoliberal geopolitical capitalist penetration of these countries under the cover of promoting democracy. In the year prior to the 2014 conflict in Ukraine, for example, it spent millions on 65 different projects in that nation, including $359,945 to fund a Center for International Private Enterprise at least partly to build up the lobbying power of Ukrainian businesses. Many of the Ukrainian projects are to train local activists, including elections-related training. The 23-member board of the directors of NED include 10 Council on Foreign Relations members. He says that's 43.5% of them. Two of them, Vin Weber and Robert B. Zolik, are former or current Council on Foreign Relations directors, and two... Elliot Abrams and Stephen Sestanovich are CFR senior fellows. Now let's look at the spin-off organization created at the same time as NED. This was the International Republican Institute. They created these two organizations, I think, to make it look as if it was bipartisan. But what does that even mean? The board of directors? Well, formerly... The head was John McCain, 
now that mantle went to Lindsey Graham, of course. So basically, Lindsey Graham works for the CIA. I've been telling people that. They don't want to listen. It's the truth, and we've proved it here. But Lindsey Graham, Mitt Romney, H.R. McMaster, Marco Rubio, Tom Cotton, Jamie Ernst, and Dana White. Some of the funders, they don't just get their funding from the taxpayers. They also get some funding from other places. And obviously, these places give funding because they want a piece of the action. Well, the IRI gets funding from USAID, which we said is always around when these coups are going down. And USAID, I've mentioned before, what they actually do is give out these humongous contracts, mainly for rebuilding countries after we help to destroy them. So it's a money racket. The Department of State is a funder. Canada is a funder. So, of course, the National Endowment for Democracy is a funder. Their partners include the National Democratic Institution, which is their sister organization, the European Institute for Democracy, which partners with Microsoft, Facebook, the London School of Economics, and various universities and newspapers, the American Bar Association, the Bush Institute, the Open Government Partnership, whose largest funders are Open Society, which is, of course, Soros's Open Society Foundation, and the downright communist Ford Foundation. Now let's go to the National Democratic Institute, formed at the exact same time as NED. Their ambassador's circle includes Mark Brzezinski, who is the ambassador now to Poland, Mika's brother, and Zbigniew's son. And if you don't know who Zbigniew Brzezinski is, you got some catching up to do, my friend. Their former head was none other than Madeleine Albright, the late Madeleine Albright, who made an absolute fortune from her position. Thomas Daschle, we've all heard that name before. Here's another one that you're going to love. Stacey Abrams. What elite organization does she not belong to? Donna Brazil. That one kind of surprised me. Former presidential candidate Howard Dean, who became a lobbyist for Big Pharma, if I'm not mistaken. Michael McFall. As many people know, who is promoting Ukraine against Russia like a madman. Former presidential candidate Walter Mondale, Chris Dodd, Michael Dukakis, Richard Gephardt, and the late John Lewis. Some of their partners include the Government of the United Kingdom, United Nations Women Foundation, United Nations Democracy Fund, UNDEF, United Nations Development Program, UNDEF. DP, the World Bank Group, the European Union, and on the corporate side, AHT Insurance, Amazon, the American Federation of Teachers, the author C. Nielsen Jr. Family Charitable Trust, Chevron, Glover Park Group, Google Inc., International Masonry Institute, International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers, the Open Society Foundation, the Proofrock Foundation, the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office, and the Coca-Cola Company. 
they have a million dollar round table. This is like their big donors group. And Mr. Richard C. Bloom is one of the donors. I believe he may be Diane Feinstein's husband. I'll have to look that up. Mr. Mark Nathanson is another one, and Mr. Dennis O'Brien. So you can see that the Democratic side has a lot more funders, have a much better website, and I think they're probably more involved as there's more members in the National Democratic Institute. There's a website called Venezuelan Analysis, which I found some really interesting stuff about Ned on there and you said, and some of these other groups. We'll just read this quick quote here. The United States government has almost perfected a method of intervention that is able to penetrate and infiltrate all sectors of civil society in a country which it deems to be of economic and strategic interest. In the case of Venezuela, the strategy began to take form in 2002 with the increase in financing of sectors of opposition via the National Endowment for Democracy and the opening of an Office of Transition Initiatives, OTI, of USAID in Caracas. And there are other groups that work with our government to overthrow these foreign regimes. Organizations like the International Crisis Group, which Alexander Soros is a donor, and they have backers like BP, Chevron, 91, Eni, Equinor, Total Energies, We also mentioned Freedom House, and here it's just got a little excerpt on the Freedom House website of something they were working on a couple years ago. It says, Freedom House, with the support from the Open Society Foundation, Soros, decided to conduct this assessment for several reasons. With a population of 46 million and shared borders with the European Union and NATO member states as well as with Russia. But I just mentioned that because... That's proof that they, too, work with the Open Society Foundation. Canvas is also another organization that you can find working to overthrow these governments. And we'll talk about them on a later episode. But they're connected to the Stratford Group. Many people know that that is also an intel organization. So when you hear about a foreign government or one of these quote-unquote, color revolutions, whether it's in Ukraine, Kazakhstan, or one of the others, understand that it's usually not an organic revolution. It is something that's been in the works probably for quite a long time, and these groups, like NET, have been fostering dissent. They find a weakness, they find some anger, some resentment amongst the public, they go in and they build and they build and they build on it in order to be able to overthrow these regimes. And who knows at this point how many of these foreign regimes that are actually U.S. intel controlled. And when I say U.S. intel, U.S. intel and their cronies controlled. I have a feeling it may be more than we'll ever know. And I feel like there may even be situations where our government is pretending to be at war or in a battle, whether it be physically or just mentally, so to speak, with these other governments when they actually control them. Because of times of war, they can make the public go along with things they normally wouldn't go along with. And, of course, we've talked about that on this show many times in the past. But I think I'll end this show with a few more quotes from William Bloom, the late William Bloom, who I think wrote more about it than anybody else. In a multiple of ways, Ned meddles in the internal affairs of foreign countries by supplying funds, technical know-how, training, 
education materials, computers, fax machines, copiers, automobiles, and so on, to selected political groups, civic organizations, labor unions, dissident movements, student groups, book publishers, newspapers, other media, etc. NED programs generally impart the basic philosophy that working people and other citizens are best served under a system of free enterprise. And you know, I said that's incorrect. Class cooperation, collective bargaining, minimal government intervention in the economy, and opposition to socialism in any shape or form. A free market economy is equated with democracy, reform, and growth, and the merits of foreign investment are emphasized. From 1994 to 1996, NED awarded 15 grants, totaling more than 250000 to the American Institute for Free Labor Development, an organization used by the CIA for decades to subvert progressive labor unions. AIFLD's work within the Third World Unions typically involve a considerable educational effort very similar to the basic NED philosophy. The description of one of the 1996 NED grants to AIFLD includes as one of the objectives building union management cooperation. Like many things that NED says, this sounds innocuous, if not positive, but these are in fact ideological code words, meaning keep the labor agitation down, don't rock the status quo boat. The relationship between NED and AIFLD very well captures the CIA origins of NED. NED describes one of its 1997-98 programs thusly, to identify barriers to private sector development at the local and federal levels in the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia and to push for legislative change and to develop strategies for private sector growth. Critics of Yugoslav President Slobodan Milosevic have been supported by NED grants for years. In short, NED programs are in sync with the basic needs and objectives of the New World Order's economic globalization, just as the programs have for years been on the same wavelength as the U.S. foreign policy. The NED, like the CIA before it, calls what it does supporting democracy. The governments and movements whom the NED targets call it destabilization. All right, guys, this concludes the Oddcast, my dive on the National Endowment for Democracy. As I always say, something you can take with you and share with others because it's very important to note that there's all kinds of these different organizations behind the scenes controlling policies, doing things that often has nothing to do with the betterment of American citizens or the betterment of foreign citizens for that matter. You know that we have the Patriot Act which is unpatriotic. We have the Freedom Act, which is against freedom. So when they call these things democracy, the word that all these people are in love with, especially the left and the elites on the right at the top of government, we know it means just the opposite. And I hope that this episode has helped you to realize that, and I hope you'll share it with others. It helps if you share the show. Word of mouth is great. Give me a good rating, too, if you get a chance. I want to go ahead and thank my patrons. I want to thank the Crazy Bread Man, my newest patron, who is a covert conspirator. Hang tight, Crazy Bread Man. I'm going to have some extra stuff on that tier for you on Patreon. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Ruckus. Check out the Daily Ruckus on Alternate Current Radio. Thank you, Ruckus, for being a producer of the show. Thank you, No Evil Shall Fear. Thank you, Refsod. Thank you, Jay. 
Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mark from Housatonic Live. Check out his YouTube channel. Thank you, James. Thank you, Bill, for being a longtime producer of the show. It's really very much appreciated. Thank you, Peterson. Thank you, Rooster. Thank you, John Brisson. Everybody check out John Brisson's work. You have to check it out. His YouTube got nuked, so you can find his links in my show notes. Check out his Odyssey page and his other pages. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, The Mighty Kilowatt. Thank you, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, David. And thank you, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Definitely check out Jack's show. Now I want to also thank my podcasting family at alternatecurrentradio.com. Get over there and check out all their shows, including The Boiler Room, which is their flagship show. They have plenty of music and talk shows as well, so there's something for everyone. Also, I want to thank Fringe Radio Network for reposting the show, and I want to thank you guys for listening once again. Cheers and blessings, guys. Till the next time, and remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. your mind, Kimosabe.